And it's like sparks and the lights go on and it, the whole world comes alive. Hey, and you take the salt, dear. Go and ahead. Shivering and this. Oh, here, you have the salt. And then after several months of being married and they're sitting at the same breakfast table and they reach for the salt and their hands touch and one of them says, Pass me the goddamn salt. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a question of, what, of how you are going to relate to each other. You can't expect it to be marvelous all the time. You've got to expect sometimes that it's going to be bad, but it doesn't mean it's going to be that it's over. You know, that's what I always thought. I thought, oh, something little bit goes wrong, and it's over. It's over. He hates me. Or I hate him, which is even worse, you know. And we might as well get a divorce. And I used to say that to him. I used to say it. He never said it, because I think because he'd had the experience. But I used to say to him, I remember one time I got so mad at him. Physical violence is a never, never acceptable. But if there's, he doesn't get physically violent. Because if he did, he'd break Anymore. both my kneecaps and, you know, string me over a wall or something. He has these visions in his head, what he'd do. But he, he's never been physically violent, but I don't have visions. I just plant one on, you know, on your kisser. And so he, was, he turned away from whatever it was that I was saying, which always makes you mad, you know. You want to argue. You don't want somebody to walk out of the room. So I planted both of my fists in his back, and he turned around, and I knew I'd had it. Boy, I knew it. He said, don't ever do that again. And I said, we just might as well get a divorce. He said, don't ever say that again unless you mean it. And I knew he meant it. And I didn't want to hurt him. I was just trying to get my way. I was just trying to get my way. Threats don't work. Threats don't work. You don't have to let threats work. You know, my feeling about that is if you're threatening to get a divorce, get, get a, a divorce. divorce. Pack your clothes and get out, or I'll pack mine and get out. I don't care. Yeah. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be where I'm not wanted. And so if you tell me you want a divorce, that's telling me you don't want me. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be there. And, I don't, and I'm not going to be there because I am a valuable, valid human being. And if you don't want me, somebody does. Yeah. Me. I want me. It's the old hand-on-the-doorknob syndrome. You know, it's somebody's always got their hand on the doorknob. I'm leaving if I don't get this. I'm leaving if I don't get that. I'm leaving if this doesn't work out. And they've always got their hand on the doorknob. Can't live like that. You cannot live without the faith, at least some faith, at least some of the time, and hopefully a lot of the time in your spouse or, or your partner. You have to have trust and faith. Okay. Each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. And in that, we're talking about each partner has a right to autonomy as well. Except any actions that they would take that would affect the family in a derogatory or a negative sense. And that is to say, I can't do anything that would affect Peggy in a negative way, or my son Jim in a negative way. I have to consider others before I take an action. And in considering others, then I can make an action based on that, not an action based on what I want to do. There's another thing that comes into this, too, and that is this. I don't know how you are. I don't know how Debbie is, but I have a feeling she's like me. When I have a pigeon who demands my attention, who demands my love, I retreat. I, it's like somebody 
they, it's like they go, you know how kids, when you get on the phone, they always come and they go, <laughs> like that, you know, and they want, and it's always when you're on the phone, you know, they always try, <laughs> and I feel like, and when they get too close to me, when they start crowding me, when they, what they're doing is they're demanding that I love them on their terms. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. What it makes me feel like doing is saying, go, go away from me. And it's, it's like with the, I cannot, and I, I, God knows I tried. Tell me that you love me. Prove it. Prove it. How can one human being do that? How can you prove to another human being you love them? If they believe it, they believe it. If they don't believe it, they don't believe it. And there is nothing that can be done in between. You cannot prove those things. You can do things that show love because all of these things are action. Having a good relationship is an action thing. But you can't, I cannot place myself in front of him and say, do you love me? Because I'm inviting this. He says, yes, I love you. I say, you don't act like you love me. You don't look like you love me. You didn't say that in a loving way. Then he say, what do I have to say to you to prove that I love you? I don't know, but you didn't say the right thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's like living with a raving lunatic. You know, it's, he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. You cannot demand that someone prove to you that you're loved. You have to grow in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous to where you have your own feelings of, of self-worth, and then you will know because it's like, when you have self-worth, it's like opening a door, and people can walk in. But if you don't open the door, nobody's going to get in. Nobody can love. Nobody can prove if your doors are closed. And it's, it's opening that Well, you know, I think, that, I think it's really very necessary not to demand anything. You know, I don't have any demands. You know, we have certain things, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but we have certain things that we do around the house that, you know, Peggy generally cooks the meals, generally cooks the meals that are cooked. Uh, we have our business in, at home, and I come upstairs for lunch frequently, and we've been, that's been almost five years. In five years, she fixed my lunch once. Yeah, I, don't, I don't do Once, lunch. and I remember it. I don't do breakfast. I'm doesn't do lunch, doesn't do breakfast, doesn't I do, do dinner. lunch. I do dinner. Four days a week. What do, the hell? Five days. Well. Four. Five. Man, no. I don't know. Well, what difference does it make? <laughs> and the reason why I say that. Counting. The reason why I say that is I can pour cereal in a bowl. I'm a grown man. I know how to do that. I can make a sandwich. I can warm up a can of chili. I can do that just as well as she can. I can take care of myself. The secret is that I have learned one very simple thing. I can survive without her. Thank you very much. I can. I can survive without her. Thank you very much. I prefer to live with her, but I can survive without her. If she bolts tomorrow. You know, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to say I'm going to be happy about it. Mm -mm. But I'll tell you, it won't be long. If it he... won't be long. <laughs> no, I, hey, I accept that. Hey, if, he, why if should, he what am to, I going to do? Mourn? If he were to die, I would be very unhappy about it. But I would also be okay. I'd be okay in the long run because I have you. 
And I remember one time when he said this to me, and I thought, this, I mean, I was devastated until I thought about it with my heart. He said, I love you more than any woman in the world, but loving you isn't enough. And I thought, well, let's see who's not enough. You know, that was my reaction inside. But I knew what he was talking about because I knew that loving him was not enough, that I had to love you. I had to love you. This is my life. This alcoholism, this recovery from alcoholism is my life. And I would have to get on with my life. You know, and that's important. It's not something we would choose, but it's important that we know we could. Let's think about it just simply on a practical basis. Just a very simple, practical, economic basis. Peggy is one person. You're hundreds. What's more important, hundreds or one? Hundreds. It's more important love you and pay attention to you than I love her and pay attention to her. Although it goes hand in Simply. hand. Because if you love, if we, I find that if I love you, I love him better. I don't know how that's strange, but that's true. When I'm willing to love you and go out of my way for you, I am, my relationship with him is enhanced. It's so hard when you're selfish. That selfish, self-centered thing that I hear so many, it's always, what about me? What about my rights? What about me? And I always get this little answer in my head. Yeah, well, what about you? <laughs> because AA's taught me that it isn't me, it's you. It's, it's you. You're important. Because somehow my, my development as a human being depends upon my willingness to love you. That's the way it's been. Don't humor your partner. That's denigrating. That's putting them down. You just listen to what they have to say and go on and do your own thing regardless of what they have to say and saying, oh, sure, you know, and then just go do your thing uh, like we did when we were drinking. And then you come back and they say, did you do that? And you say, yeah, I did it. Well, didn't you know I didn't want you to do that? Yeah, but I wanted to do it. Why? You acted as if you weren't going to do it, and then you did it anyway. You know, why humor me that way? Don't humor me. Don't play with me. Don't play games with people. People don't like being played with that way. And boy, have we played games. There is not a woman in this room who does not know how to play them and play them real good. Oh! Hey, I'm only speaking from women. I know you guys do, too. You're just not quite as subtle. Yeah, I think I think a good example of that is sex. You know, giving you a little reward because you're a good boy, and uh, saying no because you're a bad boy. Yeah. You know, the yeah. most stupid thing about doing that is it's self-denial at the same time. I mean, it's really stupid. It is stupid. What are you laughing at, John? <laughs> okay. Each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I think we've pretty much covered that because we've talked about being AA members and Al-Anon members, or not us in particular, but those of you who are Al-Anon members, being AA members first. You know, that, that we have to be AA members first, and that's the message that we carry, that we are recovering through these particular principles. And one of the things that I'm reminded of 
in this, too, is that, you know, I don't know how you are, but I can always find everything negative. I mean, there's not a negative thing that you do that I can't spot right away, just right off, you know. I mean, whether it be squeezing the toothpaste from the bottom, which I consider stupid, or whether doing it logically, which is to just punch it in the middle like I do, you know. I've got an answer to that. You have two tubes of toothpaste. She has hers and I have mine. I squeeze mine from the bottom. He squeezes his from the bottom. We especially got this commode built in our bathroom that has two separate drawers so we can have our own little toothpaste so we don't ever have to fight about that again. So we fight about his talcum powder. Every now and then I run out of toothpaste and I have to use hers, and I almost feel dirty about it. You know, the thing that you really got to do is to recognize the good things your partner does, to recognize the good things your partner does. And tell them. Hey, that was a good meal. Hey, you cleaned up the place. You're wearing a new dress. You're looking nice tonight. It's nice to come home and see you looking nice. I shave every day. I don't like to shave. I don't like to shave any day. But I like the way it feels when I have shaved. I feel clean. I feel dirty when I don't shave. I shave because it makes me feel good. Not necessarily because of the appearance that it has or doesn't have, but it makes me feel clean, and it also gives a clean appearance to you, and it makes me attractive to you. And so I just simply shave every day. It's no big deal. I shower every day so that I'm not offensive. It's very simple. Sometimes more than once a day. And it's nice to be, you know, just even to give, to give, just to have a, I call them attaboy. You know, it's an attaboy. It's, it's a little positive stroke, you know, that says, hey, you're my guy. You know, you're okay with me. You're, you're, you're good. I appreciate the things that you're doing. And we, I forget far too often to do that. I forget far too often. I remember one time uh, he came home and we were eating dinner and they got through with it and they had made some comments about it and everything and, you know, like this tastes funny and what does it have, carrots in it or what or, you know, something like that. And I said, you know, nobody, I cook dinner every night and nobody ever says, Thank you, dear Peggy, for cooking dinner every night. So not to be put down, he perked up and he said, You know, I've been going to work for 35 years. And nobody ever said to me when I came in the door, Thank you, little Dickie, for going to work for 35 years. And then he grinned. And I knew what he was saying. You know, I knew I didn't need that. Do what you're supposed to do. You don't need to have credit for doing what you're supposed to do. You don't need credit for doing what you're supposed to do. But it's pleasing to your partner to tell them that you're proud of them for doing what they're supposed to do on such a long and consistent basis. And, you know, I'm I'm proud of my wife because she is consistently been a good wife and consistently been a good housekeeper, consistently been a good mother, consistently been a good friend. And I'm proud of her. I really am. I had something occur to me a number of years ago. Peggy got elected to some office in 
AA. And this gal came up to me and said, well, how do you feel about that? I said, I think it's great. I said, well, aren't you jealous? I said, no. Why should I be jealous? I'm pleased that you got it. Peggy has a Peggy has a, an ability to do some things that I don't have to do that I don't have. And I'm very pleased for her. I'm simply pleased for her. It's nice to be pleased for your mate. You know, I'm pleased, and I think that she'll serve well. Well, you're not jealous? No, not jealous at all. I got things to do myself. And it's really simple. It allows me to do my thing too, doesn't it? Allows me to do what I can do. I know it seems like we're only halfway through, but we're really not. We're on the downhill, guys. An AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. I think there's only really one area in there that I would like to talk about, and that is the money, property, and prestige. I was a very... I was raised kind of with a silver spoon in my mouth. I had a lot of money. I had a lot of attention. I had a lot of care. Um, I was a spoiled brat, really, basically. And <clears throat> this poverty bit was uh, hard for me to, to take. And we were rather poverty-stricken for a while because we had so much, so many bad debts to pay off and so many alimony and child support payments to make and that kind of thing. So we were kind of poor. And we had the greatest time when we were poor. We really had the greatest time because when you have things that money buys, then you have to take care of the things, and pretty soon it becomes a job to take care of the things. The things own you the instead things of you own owning you them. instead of you owning the things. And so it was a lot simpler. It's, I'm not turning any money down or nothing. Don't think <laughs> that. But it, I got into money, property, and prestige. And Dick's family was what I would call... Uh, decadent southern aristocracy. Not so That's, much. That makes sense. Yeah, alcoholic decadent southern aristocracy. He has a line that goes back. His grandfather, great-grandfather owned slaves, and, and they had plantations. And we're not sure if how the family line all came about, but we, we well, at any rate, he was decadent southern aristocracy. And his dad was a... Them a damn Yankees took all the money. Yeah, all the... Me, the damn Yankees took the money. But anyway, um, his, he, his family had been reduced by alcoholism. My family had not been. And I considered myself to be better than his family. My family seemed to be better than his family. And I hate saying that because that, to me, that, that's an ugly part of me. But that's the way I felt when I first met him was that I was better than he was, and that somehow or another that that, that I would put up, you know, I, I could perhaps raise him to my standards. It was yucky. It was really yucky. And he taught me through his patience and through his really nobility under crisis. Uh, we had a child that was born dead and after we'd been married, after, after Jimmy, and Jimmy came up to me one time when he was just a little boy, and he said, this was right after this had happened, and he was very small, he didn't understand, and he said, you promised me a baby brother for Christmas. And Dick just looked at me, and his, he put his arm out, and he put it around me, and he just said, well, it just didn't work out that way, and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget it. He showed me nobility. And I could recognize it. It's not that he 
that I, you know, I think a lot of it is in the recognition, in being able to recognize what those things are in the people that are around us, that, that we can say, attaboy, thank you. And those two words are so important. Please remember to say thank you. Because the more, the closer you come into relationship with people, the more necessary does politeness become. Because the more you know them, the more you know about them, and you gotta, you gotta accept them for what they are. So politeness and thank you. Uh, you know, I, if I don't say thank you for some of the things that happen during the day to my God, then I feel spiritually bereft. If I don't say thank you to him for some of the things that he does that I know he goes out of his way to do, then I am uh, socially bereft, if you will. So what you have to learn to do, and what we all have to learn to do and recommit ourselves on a daily basis is to do what's in front of you to do, to do those things that you have committed yourself to do. If you yourself to be a married partner, then be a married partner and work in partnership and work in harmony with the other person. Assist and help them be a part of their life and let them be a part of your life. Share your life with them and encourage them to share their life with you. And don't ever feel that because someone in your family has accomplished something or is something or isn't something or whatever it is, uh, don't ever feel that that affects you. You know, what Peggy is doesn't affect me. It doesn't make me less of a man or more. or more of a man. It doesn't affect me. What I do makes me what I am, not what she does. We are not reflections of each other. We are simply not reflections. If he, Dick is very outspoken, and sometimes Jim McKernan knows it. Jim McKernan and I, and Terry Linger, we used to sit on the edge of our chairs whenever he'd say something because we knew he was going to insult somebody. He seemed to take a pride in it, you know, and we were just mortified because we were feeling as though we were reflections of him. You know, somehow that was going to come up on him. And I learned a long time ago that that isn't healthy and it, that I have to separate myself from that because I am myself. There's and a fellow my- that calls the house every now and then, and out of politeness he talks to me, but he talks to me like I'm Mr. Peggy. Yeah. I mean, he really does. And I was, he, he called several days ago, and I was telling Peggy, I said, you know, I, I always get the feeling every time I talk to this guy that he kind of talks to me like I'm Mr. Peggy or something. And uh, she said, yes. She said, I think so, but he thinks of me as being innocuous. He thinks of me as being innocuous, non-hostile. Mm-hmm. And he thinks of me as being hostile. So he tries and to stay away So from he him. stays away from me, and he would rather talk to her, and I said, innocuous wadding over here. And I I said, are you innocuous wadding? She said, no, but he thinks so. Yeah, you know better. One of the things my pigeons always get tired of hearing me say is take care of your side of the street. God, they get sick of me saying that. You know, because the other side of the street for people, I mean, taking care of his side of the street looks so tempting. You know, he uses talcum powder. And I got so thrilled the other day because I found his favorite kind of talcum powder. And they hardly make it anymore. It's Menon's. So if you ever find any, buy me a talcum powder. Oh, God. Come on. Menon's talcum powder. Square bottle green printing. Very seldom can I. I found it. But anyway, the thing that irritates me, that's great. I loved it. I brought home, bought the only thing they had in the store, brought home. Look at here. I got, oh, my favorite talcum powder. So I was thrilled. But he's 
throws it all over the bathroom. I mean, he just, like this, you know. And when you walk out of the bathroom, it leaves little feet, you know, across the carpet there. And yeah, but let me tell you something. It's hard to keep your... My T-shirt at night, he and I smell so that talcum powder. It just smells so good. Just it's like worth a, it. Like a little baby. <laughs> but you know, it's hard to take care of your side of the street when you're you're you you got to walk after him and smudge out these footprints on the carpet. You know, you're always doing that. I've kind never of heard her say stuff. that if, when we're in bed. Well, why don't you get up and take a shower? You smell bad. No, he never has. He always smells like men and talcum powder. <laughs> he ain't all dumb. Yep. So, they, you know, they get tired of me saying, take care of your side of the street. But God, it's important. You know, it's important to take keep your side of the street clean. Because, I mean, it's it's fun to meddle on somebody else's side of the street because it's, it's not personal. You know, you're over there messing with their stuff. But if you're on your side, then you've got to clean up your side of the street, and that's hard to do. And they don't, you know, they get tired of me saying it, but it's very true, and it's good for the relationship, too, I'll tell you. Okay. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. One thing I did want to say, this is so true, and I heard it just recently. I almost freaked when I heard it because, I mean, you know, it's you think you've heard everything, and then you hear something in a different way. It talks about being emotionally self-supporting and how you need to be emotionally self-supporting, how you need to stand on your own two sides, your own two feet emotionally as well as other ways. You know, I always knew how I could help other people. I always knew to help, you know, that was, I, I couldn't fix myself, but I, I wanted to fix you. I'm very Al-Anon in that way. And this lady said, and it was Mary Pearl, and she said this, and it just blew my head off, practically. She said, uh... If we insist on doing things for people that they can do for themselves, we ensure their failure to ever be able to do them. God, it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I've been doing that all my life. I didn't think they could even get up out of bed right, you know, without, you know, I used to make lunches for them and then I'd get resentful because I made lunches. I did do lunch too. I forgot about that. I did lunch in, when school was, when they weren't big enough to butter their own. Uh, I did lunch then, and I used to get mad at them for eating. I didn't want to make lunch, so I'd get resentful about eating. That's not self-support. Self-support has to do with being a man yeah. or being a woman. Be what you are. Don't be diminished by whatever you feel. When I'm feeling bad about something, I don't want Peggy to come over to me and say, "Oh, you poor boy." because that just makes me want to kill. It gives me a license to kill at that point. When I'm feeling bad, she'll say, what's the matter? i say, well, I'm not feeling too good about this. She'll say, oh, and she goes away and leaves me alone. Because my healing is not going to come from someone that I'm emotionally involved with. My healing is going to come from my sponsor, God as I understand it. That's where my healing is going to come from. It's going to come because I take some action, not because someone takes some action on my behalf. I have got to be a man. And as my sponsor so lovingly says, if you can't be a man, act like a man. God, I hate to hear that. <laughs> Jesus. If you can't be a woman, you got to act like a woman. You know, if you don't know what a woman acts like, ask a woman. Because there's plenty of them around. 
You don't cling. You don't depend upon the other person to be emotionally, to make you whole. You can't. They're going to fail. They're going to fail. It's like demanding love. You just, it doesn't fit. You know, our lumps don't fit your holes or whatever. I mean, that sounds kind of sexual, but I don't mean it that way. I mean emotionally. It just, we can't heal one another in that sense. Okay. We need to go outside for that. Peg read the, I just wanted to fill in there because we kind of skipped over the seventh step, which is, I mean, the seventh tradition, which is really being self-supporting, doing your thing and doing it well and doing it proudly and being proud of what you are and being self-supporting and earning a buck or two yourself so that you feel like you're making a contribution, if that's appropriate. But when we're talking about non-professionalism, which is the eighth tradition, you know, I am not a professional father. I am not a professional husband. I am not a professional fixer. I am of, of things. You know, I'm not a, I can't do plaster walls and that sort of thing. I don't know how to do it. I'm not can't a professional. Plumb. I, plumbing is uh. beneath my... Capabilities. Capabilities is right. He can't get he can get under the sink, hardly. But I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not he a professional. I'm not a professional. So what does this say? What does it say? Our service centers may employ special workers. So you get an automobile mechanic for the automobile. You get a wall plasterer for the wall. You know you don't try to do something that you can't do. I don't pretend to be able to do all things. And I can't. I can't pretend to be the best father in the world, nor can I pretend to be the best husband in the world. But I can be the father that I can be, and I can be the husband that I can be to the best of my ability. I can do it to the best of my ability. And it doesn't make me any less because doesn't measure up to her standards, whatever her ideas. Well, you each have to have your, you know, you've got to have your own standards based on the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's, that's basically what it comes down to. Nine says, as such, AA ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. So I think the easiest way to put that is there are some things that people fight over they have no reason to fight over. It's like the checkbook. Find out who's better at having the checkbook. If you don't, if you don't both have a checkbook, then let the person do the checkbook who's got the interest to do it and who's got the expertise to do it. Because I'm one of those kind of, Dick is the sort of person, he just says, well, if it sort of lumps out at the end of the month, it's okay. He doesn't even care how much is in there. He says, they'll let me know if there's not enough. Oh. I mean, I got to know right I'll just move some rocks from this place to that place. It's no big deal. Puts it here and there and everywhere. But, okay, that's checkbook. I do checkbooks good. I don't do investments good. He does investments good. He does real good with that because he he's playing in the abstract and he's playing with big numbers and he's not playing with $7.65, which I'm playing with. I'm better at minutia. He's better at grandiose things. wonder why. <laughs> Okay, so a family organization really has to be pliable, though, doesn't it? If we're talking about investments, I want Peggy to know what the investments are and how to handle it and so on and so forth if I'm not there, okay? I know how to balance a checkbook. I really do. 
But she, I also know where my will is, and I know where her will is, and I know where the key to the safety deposit box is. I know how to pay the bills. I know what the process is. I know all of those things. And she knows all of those things. So in her absence, I can do them, or in my absence, I can do them. I'm going to live forever, so I better learn them. Well, well maybe for another day. Yeah. But... It's important that the partners, everybody knows what's and going communicate, on. communicate, for God's sake. You know, communicate about those sorts of things, about finances and about charging. That's when we were first married, we didn't have much money, and we made a deal. You don't buy anything costing over a certain amount without conferring with your partner first, period. No matter if it's on sale at that instant, and it's never going to be on sale again. You know, no blue light specials, you know, at Kmart, none of that. You know, you have to confer with your partner because otherwise you'll overspend, and then there won't be enough for us, and there has to be enough yeah. for us. One of the things is, you know, we hear this in NAA and couples all the time, my car, my bank account, my checkbook, my this, my that, my. It's not if you marry somebody, if you're with somebody, it's our checkbook, our bank account, our car, our house, our kids, it's our. If you talk that way, maybe you'll start to feel that way. Because if you talk my, 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 that's a separation from. This is our, this is our deal. It's our deal. Okay, we want to, we got two more things to do and then we're done. We got carried away in the beginning and we always do this and we, we, we know you've been very patient. But there are some areas under uh, 10, which Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues and public controversy and that sort of thing. Basically, there, I want to say this one thing. You know, when you get into the heat of battle, <laughs> and all of you who have been married or have a relationship have been in the heat of battle, when in doubt, shut up. <laughs> I have a sign on my wall. There are some things that I know how to say that hurt so bad, and they can never be taken back. They might be forgiven, but they can never be forgotten, and that's hard. And if I can prevent them from being said by zipping my lip, I'm really better off. Because, you know, when I say things in the heat of an argument, generally speaking, I say them for one purpose, to get even. I say them to get ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. What is the time? Yeah, we're okay. almost out. Okay. Uh, you know, when you met her or him, whichever the case may be, it happened in a very strange sort of a way. It's not strange. It's just the way it happened. And what, what happens is it became a physical relationship first. And I don't mean sex when I say physical relationship because... I can go to an AA meeting or anywhere, and I can see a man that I like and a man that I, that I admire and uh, hear them speak, see what they look like, see how they're dressed, see what they pay attention. I'm paying attention. <laughs> and hear their voice and like what they say, like the tone of their voice, and I become attracted to them. And that's a physical attraction. It's a physical attraction. 
And if I really like them physically in that respect, then I'll go up and I'll shake their hand and I'll introduce myself, and perhaps we'll sit down and we'll have a cup of coffee. And we'll have a cup of coffee and we'll talk about things and we'll have lunch next week and we'll go to meetings together or whatever it happens to be. And that then is a mental relationship. And if we do this on an ongoing basis, we become friends. And that's a spiritual relationship. Every relationship between human beings is the same way. It starts out physical, mental, and spiritual. Now, if you think for a moment that if you're having a little bit of trouble in your marriage or your relationship with somebody, that you're going to heal it by talking about it, you're wrong. You heal it by being an attractive human being, a physically attractive human being, and acting like it and touching and shaking hands, making them aware of the fact that you care physically. If you do that and if you reassure them in a physical sense, the first thing you know is they'll start talking to you and you develop a mental, mental or intellectual relationship. And as you do that, you'll talk out your differences and gradually you will redevelop a spiritual relationship where you like each other. But you've got to start out with the physical. It's just like the first three steps. It is the first three steps, which are certainly physical, mental, and spiritual. Mental, emotional, whatever you want to call it. And that can be true in courtship. It can be true in any relationship that you have, that you have those three elements. You can be friends. We don't compete. We don't compete. Who's smartest? Who's dumbest sometimes? Who's maddest? Who's rightest? You know, it's, what difference does it make? In the long run, what difference does it make? No you know, Peggy does something and feels good about herself. It makes it much more pleasant for me to be around her because she's a much more pleasant person to be around. I want her to be successful. I really do because it makes her happy. And if she's happy, it sure makes it easy for me to be around. I want for her. I really do. I really care, and I care for her to be successful at whatever she does because it pleases her. And if it pleases her, it pleases me. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And I think... One of the things that I have assigned people that I, that I sponsor to do, when, especially when they have a resentment toward their husband or something, is, is not to go and discuss that resentment with him because when that happens, a lot of inventory taken goes on, and it usually ends up in a bigger brouhaha than ever before. But I go through the standard procedure of having them pray for him and so forth, but I also like for them to do something for them and not get caught. Do something nice for them, anything, like wiping up talcum powder, for example. You know, just cleaning it up a little bit. You know, erasing the footprints as they come out of the door. That kind of thing. He doesn't know I do it, but boy, it makes me feel good. I've done a goodie for Dick. 
You know, it's that kind of thing. And not get caught. Now, if he... What if I walk by her chair and her coffee cup is there and empty? I can pick it up and take it in the kitchen. Take it and get me a cup of coffee. Or take my empty cup in there. And put it in the dishwasher. What if she gets in a rush and puts some things on the dishwasher and has to run the dish counter and has to run out? And I go in there, I can put them in the dishwasher. It's kindness and consideration. It's no big deal. It doesn't diminish me human being to put things in a dishwasher or to run the dishwasher or to take the dishes out and put them on the shelf. Except I don't really know where they go. Yes, you do, too. He's just kidding. He does it all the time. But, you know, we don't have to figure out in anonymity, we don't have to figure out whose turn it is to do a good deed. You know, have you ever played that game? Oh, I did this for you, so you got to do this for me. Oh, I did this, I sacrificed for you. Well, you got to sacrifice. Where's my sacrifice? Come on, give me my bread. What's a, what is partnership? You know, people get together in a partnership because of and by themselves, they are one. They're one thing. They have a partner so that they can be in joy with another person. That relationship. In joy with another person. And so in order to have joy in the relationship, you have to give. You have to give of yourself. And it's no deal. It's really very simple. The last one really talks about being selfless. It talks about self-sacrifice in a, in a sort of a different way. It is not having to have my rights always. That, isn't mean, that doesn't mean that I don't stand tall in the relationship. It just means that I don't always have to have my way. And thank God, because it's like Dick has said many times, if, if he ever really ran an AA meeting the way he wanted to run it, nobody else would come. Yeah, but I'd be there every He'd week. He'd be there every week, but nobody else would be there. And so basically the spiritual foundation of a really attractive relationship is to think of others, to be considerate of others, to give each other a break, for God's sake. Give yourselves a break and lighten up. Thanks a lot, guys, for listening and all the rest of you.